This is Modern Woman. Find us at modernwoman.co for further info. My guest today is the founder and CEO of the Crypto Curry Club, the UK's number one rated tech networking events in crypto, blockchain, AI, sustainability and payments. Erica Stanford studied at the University of Edinburgh before working with a number of tech companies in sales and marketing strategy roles. It was on her travels around Latin America and Buenos Aires during the economic crash that sparked her interest into crypto as she saw the enormous potential in what this market can offer to billions worldwide. I'm excited to be in conversation today with Erica to hear her story and to find out what really is the future of crypto, blockchain and this emerging tech scene. Welcome Erica, it's brilliant to have you with us today. Thank you for having me on, nice to meet you. So take us back to the very beginning where you studied economics and politics at the University of Edinburgh and your journey of getting into tech. Sure, so um, yeah I studied uh, studied economics for, for no particular reason to be honest other than I was very good at maths always at school. Um, I was always strongest at maths and didn't really know what to study so I wanted to learn something about the world and I think the, the, the guidance was do something where I get to use a bit of maths as well and and, and the course at, at Edinburgh it's I mean it's the most beautiful uni in the world and I, I loved it very much but the course was a little bit antiquated so it wasn't really the, the most sort of modern far-fetched innovative um, course that, that perhaps I would have chosen now but I'd, I'd always been interested in tech and sort of grown up in a family of, of people that had worked in, in the forefront of various technologies. So I um, used to get dragged around sort of robots and supercomputers as, as, as a kid, mostly when I was waiting for my dad after school, um, when, when he was finishing work. So I'd always been around that space and uh, ended up working at various tech companies. And then I, I think the interest in, in, in crypto for me came traveling. I, I always wanted to, to travel, always enjoyed traveling. So as, as soon as I could, age, age 17, before I went to uni, I, I went to South America for that summer and then every other summer during uni and, uh, and had the opportunity to have a year abroad during uni. So I, I spent eight months of that in, in Buenos Aires in, in Argentina. And, and I've always traveled a lot around Asia and Central America and I, I think what was sort of a key takeaway from that, which I didn't really probably tie together at the time, but that I, I was in Buenos Aires during the economic crash there at a time when people had, in many cases, lost their entire incomes and their entire life savings. And an awful lot of people had lost a lot of money. And, and almost overnight, people had lost any trust in, in the government and in the banks and in the financial system. So the standard practice there was that the minute you got paid in, in Argentinian vessels, People would convert the money into euros and dollars and, and, and keep it in, in cash in their houses and safe wow. boxes or so. And that was standard because the last thing you would ever do would be to trust a bank. And, you know, inflation was so high and, you know, it cost the same to eat out as it would to, to buy the ingredients to eat in, for example. So, you know, that, that was a, a, an interesting time. And then I think it was the summer before that I was just traveling alone around, around Guatemala. And got mugged like four times in a row. And I think that was fairly common there. And, you know, I was a, a little young blonde girl at the time. And, uh, you know, we were, after a few weeks or so, I had no cards left, no wow. ability to get money, you know, out, out of a pay for anything. So the only way there to get money was to go to um, the local Western Union. So you had to walk to the, the Western Union branch. And I called my dad, who kindly sent me money. But then it took three days to arrive and cost 14%. Wow. 
every time wow. you, you wanted money and they, they gave you cash and this was in a country where I'd already been mugged for four times for cards so it wasn't ideal so you, you just get to learn how you know how sort of underbanked and, and sort of behind it in terms of digital finance a, a lot of people in the world are because there's just simply no access to safe reliable banking or to a stable currency in a lot of places so when I heard about crypto I could just see the immediate use cases. It's really interesting you mentioned about having trust in sort of banks and governments because I think even during the pandemic people raising that question of whether they trust governments um, and those that are in greater uh, powerful positions but also with the crypto because I think one of the things that if you talk to someone about crypto is, oh, they don't trust it because it's not regulated, it's not secure. Um, but then also you have the whole question of with the banking sector. So what is your view on that? Do you think that as a population, we will start to trust cryptos and this underworld, so to speak? I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't see crypto as, as an underworld per se. I mean, I think when Bitcoin, for example, was, was first bought out, a high percentage of, of transactions were, were used sort of for crime and for, for the underworld, such as in the dark web. And and that percentage is now down, I believe it's down to about 1% of, of transactions mm-hmm. um, used used for crime and, and used for that, which is, is about the same as sort of fiat government currency. So I, I think in terms of trends, what we really are seeing, and especially with, with younger generations, is, is an ever-growing distrust of 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 governments of of banks of of centralized authority certainly i see that amongst um people working in tech amongst millennials amongst uh, amongst younger people and you know recent events with with the uh, i don't know propaganda is is the right word but um you know there's been a few incidents recently around coronavirus and lockdown where large amounts of people that maybe would have used to trust governments certainly don't anymore and there's been so much printing going on. Certain governments have been printing money like like crazy, mm. uh, just totally inflating monetary supplies. And people are aware of that and are aware that their salaries are now worth less, you know, and, and costs have gone up. So for what you used to earn in a salary, you can now get less for that. And, and people are increasingly aware of that. So I think there's a few trends to, to look at. Certainly if you look at the, the countries that most use crypto that, that most use sort of digital currencies such as bitcoin for example it isn't places like the uk it's 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 venezuela it's russia it's uk and it's 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 countries around the world where there either is hyperinflation where the the economic system has failed or where there's there's distrust in in governments or in the banking system and, and where people you know in, in some cases literally rely on on, on bitcoin and on on digital currency just as a way of, of having some sort of vague form of more stabilized income or some way of getting money out of the country or some way of, of, of storing value in, in currencies that are otherwise just hyperinflated. So it, you know, that, that, that is a trend that the more economic uncertainty there are, there, or that there is in, in countries, the more people do turn to, to Bitcoin and to, to digital currency and that trend we've seen in, in happening in countries all around the world. And then also you've got more and more millennials and, and younger people are, are are getting into crypto than ever before. And I, I think for, for various reasons, partly it's, it's distrust, partly it's as an alternative to, to the centralized system, partly it's interest, partly it's excitement, partly it's novelty. But also then when, when you look at crypto, there's so much sort of mainstream use cases for it, such as, 
micropayments with 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 fiat currency so with government currency you can't just send 50p or a pound digitally you you can but there, there's high costs to doing so for those businesses that accept uh, for example very small amounts of money it, it costs them an awful lot to do to do so so that it's not economically viable to do so but then if, if you look around the world you've got huge amounts of people you've got a third of the world's population about 2.5 billion people who don't have access to traditional banking simply because banks have, have deemed it not to be economically viable to serve those people because they effectively don't make enough money. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got all of these people that are, have been traditionally totally reliant on, on, on things like remittance companies, which are totally barbaric at, at best. They charge huge amounts of money to the, the poorest people around the world. You know, In some cases, they charge up to 30% just for people to be able to send money from A to B. And, and the average around the world is, is about 7% just to be able to send money home. And you know this is for people who maybe only earn one or two or, or, or certainly less than $10 a day. So 7% is, is a huge percentage of that. So crypto opens up just so many more possibilities just outside of you know, sort of Western you know, stores of, of value or the concept of that. But it means that you can send micropayments, you can, Sort of pay wages um, internationally without having forex costs. You can send, you know, a dollar home in, in remittance money. You can pay per per use for content. You can pay sort of really small amounts of money digitally, effectively for free and almost instantly. Now, not with every cryptocurrency. Some are more expensive and and less efficient than others. But the the technology is there that that can be done. So it just opens up a huge wealth of options that are uh, available that that don't really work um sort of on on an economical sense with with government fiat currency mm. and for our listeners i mean it's so interesting hearing what you said there erica um but for our listeners that are slightly unsure can you tell us exactly what are crypto and what is the difference between crypto and blockchain right so blockchain is is i mean sort of to go to to start there, blockchain is, is the underlying technology that, that cryptocurrency is, is built on. So blockchain is it is basically it's a, a, a ledger, sort of a bit like an accounting system on which you can either send money or send information. And, and you've got a, a sort of time sequenced um, order of events happening. So, for example, if, if I send you information or if I send you money, then that will be shown at exactly what what time and from what address I, I sent it, and it will be shown that you received it. And, and that you've got various sort of confirmations, which are effectively other computers on the system checking that that happened. So you've got a whole new level of, of transparency that, that is possible with blockchain, whereby the, the, the details of, of you know, information added can be seen, or, or if, if money or, or value is sent, that that can be seen. So for example, if you add information to the blockchain, it, unlike with an Excel spreadsheet, for example, where you can just change the contents of, of that sort of cell. And you know, if, if, if you change it, then, then no one is really any the wiser. Whereas on blockchain, if you, if you add information, you can't delete it or, or change it. You can add new information, but you, you've just got a lot more accountability of, of who added what information and, and in what order. So it's it's used an awful lot now in in sort of the you know the unglamorous side of of, of business and and trade. It's it's used in retail for 
tracking shipments is used in supply chain and logistics and shipping, for example, is used in finance yeah. for ways to show information, show transactions, show stores of value or to prove who has what. There's, there's ways that you can see with blockchain without wanting to get too complicated. You, you can get certain bits of information revealed without revealing everything so for example if, if we need to prove that you're i don't know over 18 for the sake of sending you a drink mm-hmm. currently you'd have to show your um driver's license typically or a passport to, to prove that but you know a that's a, a, a physical piece of, of document which can easily be forged um and, and practically it also involves sharing a lot of other data such as your address maybe um, or your data birth, that, that isn't relevant to the question whereas with blockchain it would allow you to just be able to prove that yes this is you and you are over 18, for example. So blockchain is, is more sort of an administrative software that, that's very safe, very transparent that, mm-hmm. that a lot of industries are using. Whereas cryptocurrency is, is digital currency that uses blockchain technology to be able to send more, to be able to be sent more securely. So um, you, you've got sort of encrypted digital currency and then it, that can vary greatly. Some of the, the cryptocurrencies are private, so you can't see transactions you can't see who sent what with other ones such as bitcoin it, it, it's much more open so if you've got a bitcoin address you can see how much bitcoin they've got or you can see transactions um not necessarily the identity but you, you can see an awful lot more information and and it allows for transactions to be sent from one party to another without having to trust a third party to give an example if i don't know if i want to sell you a hat i i have to you know the, the the options are currently either i trust you to send me i don't know 100 pounds for the hat and then i send you the hat so you have to trust that after i've received your money that i will send you the hat or i send you the hat and and then i hope that after you've received the hat you you send me the 100 pounds so we we have to trust each other mm-hmm. or we go through a third party where, whereby we you know both or one of us pays some money whereby I send a hat to that third party, you send the money to that third party and they, they sort of do an escrow exchange. And, you know, the third parties currently include things like payment providers, MasterCard, Visa, banks, eBay, Amazon, whatever sites yeah. we choose to use, but they all add on costs and add on delays. And there's always a risk or the third party could could disappear, could go bankrupt, you know, or, you know, run away fraudulently with both our hat and, and, and the, the hundred pounds. So th- yeah. there's an element of trust needed um, with with third parties, but also just the practicality that that there's costs and delays involved. And what what crypto opened up the possibility for for the first time is is that you can send transactions securely and and have the transparency of of you know who who gets and sends and receives what, but without needing to trust anybody. If, if that makes sense. Do you trade cryptocurrencies yourself? No. And why is that? Out of interest, you've got so much knowledge about it. I, I, I sort of did for a little while and, and played in it and, and it, it, it's very volatile, it's very stressful, it's very easy to lose a lot of money um, and, and just on a practical lifestyle thing, I can't take that level of stress at all. Um, and, and, you know, also you, you have to be constantly on it. Um, you know, for, for people that are trading, I've, I've, I've known some, I've seen some and, you know, people literally don't sleep. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen people that were really sort of in the crypto space, literally just subsisting of drugs and alcohol and sugar and whatever to, to stay awake. And, to, and that's just, I mean, partly that's just not a lifestyle that could ever 
face having I found it incredibly stressful and you know and, and practically on the sort of the trading volatility side you know it's great if you make a load of money but it's not something that really interests me and I'm, I'm far more interested in the use cases and you yes. know yes it makes me less money but if I've got free time I'd rather get out on a bike and, and be outside for a whole day. In terms of like an investment, so just moving from looking at it from a different perspective, there's even like wealth managers and private investors that are now looking at Bitcoin and also other altcoins um, for investment purposes. I mean, what is your opinion or your knowledge around that side of things? I mean, I, what you've mentioned there is obviously people that are trading on a daily basis. And yes, the markets are extremely volatile. But from a long term investment, is there value in that because of the technology? Or do the two not correlate in terms of the value of the tech that we will use eventually and we are using compared to what you're actually trading? So, I mean, there's a couple answers to your question. So if crypto as a whole, the, the, there's thousands and thousands of different cryptocurrencies, the vast majority of which have absolutely no use case or value and will probably crash to zero. Um, and then you've got other ones such as Bitcoin, for example, which is you know, practically it's got first mover advantage and it stands out and it's the biggest for for, for many reasons. So the two two answers to your question. Bitcoin, for for example, it's 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 seen as a store of value. You you've had lots of, of companies and, and funds, for example, buy into it as a as a way of you know either hedging against fiat or you know as a as a way that they see it will go up in value. And and practically with with Bitcoin, there will only ever be 21 million bitcoins uh, produced, sort of mined. It, it's set by algorithm, so it's impossible to have more bitcoins. Now, a, a, a large chunk of those have already been lost by people that stored them on devices which they accidentally threw away or broke, and therefore can't access those bitcoins anymore. And, and a large chunk of those have, you know, are owned by early investors who have huge amounts of them and have never really touched or, or moved them. So, and, and then now you've got more and more players i mean we saw recently tesla for example and, and and some funds getting into the space buying up sort of all of the available bitcoin so and, and the way bitcoin is is produced there's a certain amount that are mined or created every year and, and that amount is is less every year so there, there's less and less coming to the to the market each year with with more and more companies and, and people wanting in and and you know less and less available because a lot of those that have been bought up are, aren't sort of liquid, they're not being traded, they're being effectively just stored by their, their owners. So the, the liquidity isn't, I mean, yes, relatively for crypto, it's, it's, it's large, but there's not an infinite supply by the definition of the word. And by definition, mm. you, you've only ever got this finite amount of Bitcoin with more and more people now wanting to go in. So, you know, the, the argument of, of supply and demand, where there's less supply and ever increasing demand, would indicate that that Bitcoin might be seen as a good store of value and, and might go up in value. Um, that's as a practicality, that's not true for every cryptocurrency because some of them don't have such tight algorithms where there'll only be a finite amount of a produce and most of them just have no value really. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the other practicality of it is that the markets are, you mentioned highly volatile, but they're also highly manipulated. And, and and it's there's enough, you know, people and companies out there that have demonstrated how easy it is to manipulate the market. So it can just be sometimes a tweet or a rumor yes. can utterly crash the markets. And 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 we've seen that, you know, we're 
I mean, you know, literally in a tweet or a news piece or something really, you know, relatively not world changing will, will literally make Bitcoin and the crypto markets go up, either go up or down by, mm. by 30%. And so, I, I mean, there, there are funds, there are, are those who have algorithms and, you know, sort of trading funds who know exactly how to play on that volatility and, and do well out of the volatility. But for the vast majority of people, mm. one can't really predict, well, you know, this will, this will happen or that won't happen because it's, it's so volatile and it's so manipulated. Mm. Um, so, you know, every, every time you, you think something makes sense, something else happens that just doesn't make sense and wasn't expected and will, you know, either crash or, or send things up the the other way to what anyone was expecting so you know i i think there are i mean there, there certainly are funds that, that have worked out how to 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 work the markets because they've got experienced you know traders and, and algorithms and so forth that that know what they're doing but that isn't necessarily to say that that every person um can benefit from crypto just because of of how volatile and manipulated it can be mm. Very interesting. So you set up uh, the Crypto Curry Club. Tell us all about this and what this offers, Erica. So the Crypto Curry Club, it's, it's now it's really the main community for crypto and, and, and blockchain in the UK. So I started that in, in 2018. Mostly I wanted to meet other people in the space. I wanted to learn more and find out what else was happening. And there were some other events and there were some very good sort of events in the space that are still going on to this day but they're, they're very technical and not, not always easy to meet people and other networking events where I, I mean I'm relatively outgoing but certainly not an extrovert by any definition of the word and and you know that you sit in rows and listen and then they say go network and if if you're remotely like me that's the most excruciating thing you could possibly <laughs> be told to do and you stand around awkwardly and you know if there's somebody that you know that that's great and you sort of talk shyly to those but the concept of going up to somebody that you don't know and, and you know starting a conversation to me was sort of almost impossible uh, unless it was somebody I knew that that introduced me so I found that really difficult and I think I'm probably far less shy even than the average person so I found that really hard and I'd been previously to it was a property investors I was sort of brought along by somebody else uh, but a Chris it was a Christmas curry in, in, a, in a curry house in, in London and they, they'd made it in Vidoni and everyone sort of sat around and you know you sat around big tables sharing a load of curry mm. as a sort of Christmas dinner networking event thing and it, and it was just the best sort of work event I'd ever been to it was fun you met people it was easy to talk to people if you sat around at a table sharing food with people it made it very very easy and, and it was fun I'm still in touch with somebody I met there and this was years ago so I, I just thought if this could be brought into into tech, it would be great. And, and Crypto Curry was just a perfect name for that. So, it, you know, it started off as, as being a bit of fun almost. I, I rented out an Indian restaurant and invited a few people I knew from the space and, you know, invited some of the people that looked really interesting from LinkedIn. And 25 people came to the first one and ended up staying about eight hours and said it was the best event they'd ever been to. I think it was just a combination of, you know, people working in the same space interested in the same thing all sat around sharing a load of food together and and, and having a few drinks so it, it grew from there it does sound fun I definitely want to come to one that's for sure well, I hope so, we can start them again at some point this year I know so have you been doing them online since the pandemic 
We we have we we we've done about fifty sort of webinars and and, and virtual events, which you know which has been great. It's it's grown the community by about four x since lockdown because people you can join the virtual events from anywhere. It's easier for people to join. Yeah. We've got people internationally now, so we have done virtual events. We've done virtual networking events and 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 lots of sort of webinars and and live chats. And you know that they have been great, and we've had some incredible speakers on it and some real engagement from the community in those and you know even at the start of lockdown we did some fun quizzes and so forth so we we, we have done yes we've also launched a an industry publication which is digital and available in print out, out once a month and we've got our, our weekly newsletter so all of that's kept going mm-hmm. um but you know i'll be the first to say it's, it's not remotely like being together with people and being in a room you know sort of closed room where you've got 20, 40, 60, whatever people that have been invited specifically because they're, they're relevant and niche to, to a subject. So, um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people are, are very excited for when real life events with, with in-person meetings and food and drinks can, can restart again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have exactly the same situation. I think um, online and virtual definitely has a space and a purpose, but you can't beat face-to-face and building those relationships. and feeling that energy that's going on inside the room yeah. for sure so tell us about you are you based in London now or I, I I was in London until lockdown I escaped to the countryside in Berkshire for, for what I thought would be two weeks when our office closed in in March uh last year before lockdown and then we went into lockdown so I escaped sort of probably for longer than I planned to but now I've just been lockdowning away in the English countryside so do you normally travel lots? I mean, obviously it's been tricky of late, but is your plan to sort of live in sunnier climes where you can work remotely most of the time? That I mean, that that's a dream. I've, I've previously lived in, in Switzerland, sort of worked there and, and lived there for a while. And I, I think I've, I've come to the, partly the British weather is, is unlivable. It's cold and wet and I like to be outside and like to be swimming and climbing mountains and biking lots and it's the climate isn't great here um yeah I, I want to be somewhere much more outdoors and, and active and less screen time and I'm practically after brexit less excited about staying in the UK and, and you know I always thought I'd stay in London for you know at least till I settle I suppose because that's where everyone was and that's where events were and that's where work is but mm-hmm. since since corona and lockdown I, I I think even the city has changed and certainly a lot of people have left things will be a lot more virtual so who knows who knows um I'm, I'm certainly keen to escape to somewhere warmer and drier and prettier as as soon as possible and maybe commuting to London but we'll we'll see I we'll see <laughs> work-wise is your main focus the crypto curry club and everything that you do with that or do you have other interests that you work on um yeah the the, the crypto curry club is, is pretty time consuming of the the newsletter and the publication and events and there's a a startup in the space it's a sort of a DeFi wallet that I I spend time with every week um helping out on, on marketing and partnerships and so forth and so yeah that, that that is pretty time consuming certainly last year was was mostly taken up by a, a publisher I had reached out at the start of lockdown to, to write a book about all the biggest scams in crypto um which I I said yes to and I'm very glad I did and that's out um in just over a month uh, on July the 3rd it's it's called Crypto Wars and and, and that took up most of, of last year um, so you know in a way lockdown was a good thing because it meant that I didn't really miss out much I was mostly sort of curled up in an armchair researching and writing for the, the most of the year 
Um, so that, that, that took up a lot of time. So sort of catching up from that now and then there's still sort of marketing and, and things like that that are ongoing. Amazing. But, so what, what can we expect to find in your book? So that is, it's, it's sort of an overview of, of the early crypto space, sort of, of the, the big sort of bubble largely between 2016 and, and, and 2018. So we go into some of the biggest scams, there's some sort of giant multi-billion dollar Ponzi schemes, there's some hacks, there's some theft, there's, you know, all sorts of, of, of stories from sort of espionage to, you know, potentially fake death to sort of, you know, missing billions of, of dollars. And, and it's sort of the, the biggest sort of stories, the biggest negative stories from the early days of crypto, like how, how it got so big, how the ICO, sort of initial coin offering era got so big. So some of the, you know, the, the more bizarre stories from that. Um, so I, I hope that, and it's, it's, it's meant to be easy reading. It's, it's meant to be fun reading. It's the type of thing that hopefully one can take away and, and you know, read in a day on a deck chair, sort of pretty chilled. So it's, it's designed to, give a pretty fun, easy, accessible overview to the earlier days of crypto and some of the, the bigger mishaps and, and all of that. So, you know, with, with two aims, partly that people can, you know, understand the space a bit better and hopefully understand how the scams work and, and how the scams have operated so that hopefully people will know enough about them to not fall for them or, or certainly to not fall for as many because so many people do still fall victim to a lot of the scams. But also, you know, I'm, I'm unashamedly pro crypto and it, it ends on a positive note showing about where crypto can go and and will be going and is going so i i hope that people get a good overview of of the industry of the market you know read some of the the, the craziest stories but hopefully leave on a on a happy note about the industry brilliant so where when is it out and where can our listeners find it so that's out in in the uk on the 3rd of july it's out a few weeks later in in other countries so it's it's available on Amazon and at all good bookstores. It's it's also available from the publisher. So it's Kogan Page, K-O-G-A-N Page P-A-G-E dot com. Um, they're giving a twenty percent discount if you use the code Crypto Wars twenty. But or, or Amazon or any good retailer, personally, if anyone is is happy and willing to go to an independent retailer, please do buy it from them and support the small bookshops, especially after lockdown. But yeah, it's it's available, and the full name is. Crypto Wars, Fake Deaths, Missing Billions, and Industry Disruption. I think I've got that right. Brilliant. Okay, that sounds really good. And I'll make sure I read it as well. Um, so do. just a couple more questions before we finish up. I mean, what would you say drives you in your work, Erica? I, I really, I mean, what is what is great about the, the communities? We get to meet so many incredible people constantly and, and always being introduced to amazing people. So, you know, that that, that is a real privilege and it's, it's really nice to, to meet these all these incredible people. So part, partly that, there's a, a, an animal charity I'm sort of looking at sort of hopefully supporting and doing something with. So that, that would be the, the most amazing opportunity. And, and, and you know, for, for me, I can't say it's all about ambition. It's, it's really about freeing up enough time to be able to live a more chilled life and, and be outside and active a, a, a lot more than, than stuck in front of a computer screen. So how would you define success? never having to open a laptop ever again <laughs> <laughs> other than other than for fun um yeah do you know that that something along those lines would pretty much be it never never ever having to use or look at social media ever again so just the last question in your opinion what is a modern woman um that's a very good question 
I think one who has the confidence to do what they want and, and and to do what they're enjoying doing without sort of being told by parents, societies, schools, teacher, you know, what whatever that is for what they potentially should do. Um, so, you know, I've I've got some friends who all they ever wanted to do was was get married and have kids. And, you know, I'm I'm certainly closer to that angle than than doing the whole career path. So I, I think it's really what what you want to do and and be happy with that and 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 be having the freedom to be able to make choices and you know if that's if that's go traveling if that if that's study if that's go down the career path if that's go off and have kids if mm-hmm. that's working with charity whatever that is and, and choosing that for yourself and and being happy with that choice and confident in that choice well I hope to be making more of that work-life balance for sure <laughs> especially after lockdown <laughs> yeah exactly Uh, Well, it's been lovely chatting with you, Erica. Is there anything you'd like to add before we close? No, thank you so much for having me on. You know, sort of generally, if there are questions and stuff approachable on LinkedIn, it's Erica Stanford, and please do buy the book. Um, It was it was a lot of work, and hopefully, a very interesting, fun read. So yes, please do buy the book, Crypto Wars, at um, at any good retailer. Thank you. And that was Erica Stanford from the Crypto Curry Club. This is Modern Woman. Find us at modernwoman.co for further info.